welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, the official podcast of Craft Brewed Music, the home of small batch streaming. Here we explore better music for serious listeners and those who create it. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. Hello, Aaron. How's it going? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Excellent to have you here for our first Craft Brewed Music podcast interview. So we've got Derek Brown, a craft brewed music artist, here with us uh, tonight. He's got 40 million plus views across social media. He's been featured on NPR's Weekend Edition, performances on his recent 5050 tour in all 50 U.S. states and more than 30 countries around the world. He's a billboard charting saxophonist, composer, and innovator. Jazz journalist Scott Yenow commented that Brown performs unaccompanied solos that occasionally make one recall Bobby McFerrin in his early prime at the great saxophonist Eddie Harris, utilizing slap-tonguing, circular breathing, a wide interest in musical styles, and dazzling coordination to create rather unique music. Unique to say the least. Uh, we're going to listen to uh, one of Derek's first viral hits, Catch Him Up, from his 2016 debut album, Beatbox Sax. This is Derek Brown. Hey, Derek, thanks so much for being here with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. This is fun. 
So catch them up. The uh, the song that started off for you, huh? It is yes. The first song I ever played on the saxophone back when <laughs> I was in fifth grade. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I get I what you're referring to. I would refer to it as well as that. The song that started the I guess the beatbox sax movement. And I'm I'm you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes with my fingers for the yeah. beatbox sax movement. I, I can hear because the quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because as as I like to say, I don't really beatbox. It's like vocally, you don't want to hear that. Um, and people just started saying like, hey, that kind of sounds like you're beatboxing and playing the saxophone. And I'm like, well, it's really slap tonguing and then extended techniques, double, you know, like whatever. It sounds like beatboxing. Okay. So you, you uh, were in school like as recently as 2008, you got your master's degree and then you were director of of a jazz program at a college in Texas. Did, yeah. uh, were you leading a, a traditional jazz band or, or did you have them all beatboxing? What was, no, start? I, the, yeah, the beatboxing thing was, I did not know that was going to be a thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I went to school for, well, first it was classical and then jazz. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to New York city and, you know, just be a jazz sax player, make it rich, make my millions. Um, but I, uh, some various moments along the way helped me realize some things. And I, probably the most powerful thing was when I was doing my master's program, I had a grad assist. I was a grad assistant at, um, university of Cincinnati college conservatory of music, a great school. And I was in charge of a combo, like a, just a beginning combo, you know, they kind of pass for the grad give it to the grad students to be in charge of. And there was a freshman sax player who was in my group that I was supposed to be coaching. And he was, I kid you not, twice as good as me at jazz. <laughs> and I had this like, um, like midlife crisis, you know, yeah, yeah. at like 22 or whatever. Um, but <laughs> like, how am I supposed to make it out there if I'm not even the best, you know, this kid who's half my age is twice as good as me. I'm not even the best one in this room, let alone the city. And that was when I had kind of this hard come to Jesus moment of, I, I think if I, if I am going to make it, which I, I wasn't even probably thinking of this, I was just dark thoughts and like, it's hopeless. Sure. But later on, I realized if I am going to make, make it out there in the music industry, I've got to kind of find my own way. I can't just try to also be a clone of Sonny Rollins or John Coltrane. Cause I realized then there are thousands upon thousands of sax players much better than me that are also trying to be clones of the same, you know, classic jazz artists. Uh, and so I, yeah, I, I wouldn't stand a chance that way. And, and that kind of, kind of helped give me this boost of like, what, if I am going to play this instrument, and I've had times where I almost wanted to give up, including at the, around that time. But if I am actually going to do this instrument, I need to play it exactly how I want to play it. And it needs to be totally true to me what I want to do, not what I think I'm supposed to do. And so how did you get from there to catch him up? Uh, good question. Um, yeah, so... So there were lots of influences along the way, and some of those influences were even before this this kind of midlife crisis. But I mean, I I have always tried to have very open ears, and sometimes I almost feel felt bad about that. You know, when you're at a, a serious conservatory, 
uh, for music, you're supposed to just listen to one thing for a while. And I understand that, you know, because you want to, you know, if you want to learn German, it's best to like only speak German for a while, you know, but I was this kind of stray cat where I was like also checking out world music and listening to a lot of like Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, you know, not straight ahead jazz, but stuff that I really liked. Um, not just listening to sax players. Um, and, and a huge one for me was coming across the music of Bobby McFerrin, um, Mm -hmm. the great vocalist. Uh, and you know, just the way that he's able to create this full sound with just one, you know, monophonic voice. And, you know, when I realized the saxophone is also monophonic, we're only supposed to do one note at a time. Yet here's this amazing singer doing these concerts just by himself on stage totally acoustic and it's there's nothing missing and holy cow how is he doing that and by that point you know i had i had kind of maybe dabbled in a little bit of these extended techniques i think because of my classical upbringing as well so i had kind of dabbled in the slap tonguing stuff um Mm -hmm. and you know and i had heard a lot of the stuff used in the context of usually very avant-garde stuff So whether that's like really contemporary classical music where it's, you know, just very much kind of sound effects, you know, not not really necessarily rhythmic. I hadn't heard a lot of that Um, or like avant garde free jazz, where once again, it's used as like just this kind of sound effect or um, something like that, like 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 just kind of a passable little Right. And, and when right. I started hearing someone like Bobby McFerrin or, you know, some some beatboxers or or uh, um, they call it like finger style guitar players who are hitting their instrument and kind of making mm-hmm. their own groove. I immediately wanted to try to use those techniques in that way and see if I could do something percussively and accompany myself. Um, there, there are some other reasons like, so after grad school, I was teaching in this, uh, town of Abilene and Abilene, Texas, you know, the Mecca yeah. of jazz, as you know, um, <laughs> we all know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty small town and not a ton of sax players, not a ton of musicians. There were some, some, some good cats there, but so I, I ended up doing a lot of stuff on my own. Like I would do like get requests to do wedding receptions or something. And, or, or like I would, I volunteered at a nonprofit and they would say, Hey, Derek, could you provide music for this event? And I'd be like, how much is it going to pay anything? No. Uh, so instead of asking the few other people to play, it'd be like, well, maybe I can just play myself. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's always a little awkward on a you know a sack just a saxophone compared to a piano sure and um, so what what was what were the early uh uh manifestations of that what did that what was that what that look like yeah so it you know at first you know i i I mean, I was always intrigued when, so I've always been intrigued with improvisation and jazz. And so I very much would just kind of outline the chord changes. And I, that was always kind of part of my solo. I loved like actually like for the listeners to hear the chords. Um, And so a lot of arpeggiating. And then I realized, you know what? I think I can like slap tongue these bass notes, get this thunk. Um, and it kind of sounds like a, an electric bass guitar slapping a string. And so I was like, oh, I could kind of like, you know, I could play a, a, a B flat blues and kind of slap the bass line, you know, on the downbeats and then play. And then I realized with this pop sound effect, um, I could kind of maybe do a backbeat. So doom, doom, 
and then and then maybe I could even fill in the notes in between. And so it started off very improvisatory, uh, but it was very, very rough. Um, but it was super fun for me. Um, and then gradually I started to see if I could do it to songs, like taking melodies, like like taking tenor madness. And I wonder, and to do that, you know, I didn't have the ability to, cause I hadn't been practicing this a ton. I had to actually like sit down and, and, you know, like write out the melody and okay, let's see. Be, because once again, monophonic instrument, you can't do a bass note and a melody at the same time. So you have to choose, Oh, if I, if I do the bass note on the downbeat, ah, I can't play that melody note on one. So maybe I could move that melody note, just an eighth note ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started doing that, and so so kind of working on songs. Then I started kind of writing my own stuff, and all of that together. Because um, sometimes people ask me, like, how do you compose um, your music or a song? Uh, and it's it's one of two ways. Um, sometimes it's it's trying to do the melody or the chord progression, and then through that I try to figure out. Oh man, I wonder there 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 isn't a way to do a bass line on eighth notes in the melody, but oh, maybe if I double tongue and do the melodies on the cuz in between up high, but I, so then I would work on this new extended technique and try to see if I could do that. But then there are other times where I'd be working on an actual extended technique, um, things like playing with rings or vocal slapping, th- these some terms that I've come up with, some that have already existed. And then it'd be like, oh, this is a really cool technique. I wonder if I could make a song based on this. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, and then Catch Him Up came out, and that was when, right around the time when my wife and I were like, um, man, this teaching gig is great. I'm doing this. I had done this for six years full time, and and it, you know, it was it was a great career, but I it was almost like I was doing things backwards because other professors there in the music side of things, they had already done like some performing in their young days. And now they wanted to settle down, raise a family and, you know, have a stable career. And I went right to that teaching job. I got lucky getting that. But I was like, I'd always had this itch to perform. And once again, I wasn't thinking of doing I, not in a million years would I have thought that I would, solo sax would be my thing. Um, but I just was like, man, it's kind of now or never. And so my wife and I decided, let's move to Chicago. Let's go to a big city. It was a little closer to home. And let's just see what happens. I'm just going to devote, you know, at least a couple years, see what happens if I just focus on music and, and kind of putting, you know, trying to, trying to a bunch of different avenues. So I, you know, I just tried to like get in as many bands as I could, um, you know, playing some like pop cover bands, a jazz group, a fusion group, um, Anything I could just try to get into the scene, which was kind of hard for me because I'm a little bit more introverted. Um, But it was just me forcing, knowing I had limited time. Let's just do it. And then I was also working on this beat, this solo sax stuff. I put out that video, Catch Him Up. You know, this was like, I don't even remember the year, maybe six or seven years ago. And it got a really good response. And I was just like, whoa, okay, maybe I should do more of this. And yeah, from then on, it just became this, this pursuit of mine, almost obsession, I guess, of mine. What else can I do on solo, on the solo saxophone? How far can I take this? I, I love that the genesis of this is, is trying to play these, 
what are fundraiser events in Abilene, Texas. And it's like one one guy with his saxophone, like, well, how can I make this work? So it's like it's like a cool thing for everybody. <laughs> well, I remember at some of those events because there were there were multiple events um, like that, these fundraiser things, and I remember some of the people being like, kind of giving weird <laughs> looks. And I I like I remember one was kind of a Christmas thing, and I did it with a bunch of Christmas songs. And I remember one lady is just kind of etched in my mind of saying like, can't you just play a normal song? And I was just like, ah, this, this is, isn't this cool? You know? So, so you talked about, you know, kind of making, starting the, the, the style almost to be functional as a solo player. And, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, being a solo player, it's so much easier and more efficient to tour. I'm not talking about how easy or difficult it might be to, to get the gigs, but once you're out there, you're having to pay one person, house one yeah. person, fly one person. And so, you know, everything you do works so well artistically. And I was wondering, you know, if some of it stemmed from, you know, logistical or strategic considerations. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, as that's you went good, on with this. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I mean, I felt like it was the extremes of it was it was it was it was definitely ideal, like you said, for traveling or just for making money with this. And I honestly don't know how people start off in ensembles, combos, you know, that haven't made a name for themselves. I just can't imagine, you know, taking the paychecks that I have and then splitting it five ways and trying Mm -hmm. to make a living with that. Um, but, um, so yeah, it did make travel much easier. And I will admit that is one of the reasons I have kind of stubbornly so far stuck to totally acoustic saxophone because Mm -hmm. so many times people will say like, oh yeah, yeah, that's really cool. You you should, have you ever done like looping and electronics? And I, yeah, I've experimented with that. And I, I did experiment with that during that Abilene, Texas time at some of those functions, I, I, I went all out with like a computer looper and effects pedals. And I even had these like this like giant keyboard that I could hit with my foot to play bass lines, just hmm. total one man band. And it it just got so overwhelming. You know, like you hit one wrong button and it just stops. <laughs> um, plus, right. it you know, it takes like three hours to set up and you're kind of freaking out that the computer's going to slow down. Plus the speakers that you're coming out of never sound as good as your acoustic sax. Right. And so it was just like, this is so frustrating. Plus, yeah, the setup and I'm just going to I'm just going to slide that setup under the bed. I'm just going to see how far I can go acoustically and i'm really now okay sometime in the future i may get back into that stuff i occasionally dabble with that stuff um but i'm really glad that i set that limitation on myself and i've heard other artists kind of in all different genres talk about that like the freedom that comes with limitations Mm-hmm. Um, we would normally think limiting is the opposite of freedom. You know, we should have no rules do, but it's when you limit yourself that you actually give yourself, you know, a direction to go. Um, it gives you something to start with, you know, like nothing is more terrifying than like the blank page, you know, for an artist, like, ah, it's paralyzing. What do I, what do I do? Mm-hmm. But having kind of this goal of just, I can only do one note at a time. Um, I can only use this piece of machinery, this saxophone. What can I come up with? Um, 
that's been kind of creatively freeing for me. Um, and it's, it's gotten me to stretch in ways that I don't think I ever would have had I done more of the electronic looping. Like for instance, when I had a looper, it's like, here's how it would always go. And this is how it always goes when you see someone looping. Usually, you know, they hit record on the looper and then they do a percussion groove, like, like hitting the, the instrument. God, they do it for eight seconds. Then they hit playback and then that goes on. Okay. Now they hit record again. They do a baseline. And then play that back. Now they do a little like harmony part. Dude, Dude, I don't. I'm for some reason I'm Michael Jackson. Michael. Billy Jean, I, I, was, I was with you the whole way. I was like, that's exactly nice. the loop, the looper tune I would do first was Billy Jean. Yes, that's awesome. And then and so, anyways, yeah. And then you do the looper again, and then you record the melody, and 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 okay, that's awesome. That's cool, you know. And there's some really cool musicians doing looping stuff. But had I just stuck with that, I wouldn't have done much. I wouldn't have really broken any boundaries there like i don't think i would have done much outside of the box the fact that i couldn't do the looping forced me to think oh i wonder okay how could i do percussive and a baseline stuff at the same time well maybe you know i'm doing percussive stuff with my mouth slap tonguing pops these kind of things but maybe i could actually hit the instrument with rings you know like hit it on the thumb hook and so i got into that i mean, maybe i could use my feet and i like a drummer you know drummers are able to use all of their appendages why can't sax players so i could kind of stomp for a kick sound and then maybe like you know maybe maybe i could do slap tonguing and i could actually kind of open my mouth and sing something kind of a harmony part at the mm-hmm. same time and maybe i could use triple tonguing with the upper notes on the upbeats you know and and this the, all these new kind of techniques and like like i was saying a lot of these things players have been doing for years um it's just how i'm kind of putting it together in my own way um and maybe there are some things that i kind of came up with but but like i said i don't think i would have come up with those things had i had that that other helper tool now someone else might feel limited by just acoustic and they need that looping to grow but for me Man, having those limitations and kind of stubbornly sticking with it has been so good for me. It hasn't been easy. And that's the other flip side of that coin. You know, like we said, it was easy to easier to tour, to travel, yeah, yeah. make a living. But man, convincing, especially at the beginning, convincing like festival directors, uh, club, especially club owners, that I could actually do a full show or a full set. And, and I would have the same reservations too. You know, if like a solo trumpet player came to me, a trumpet <laughs> player came to me and they're like, I do a, uh, yeah, 90 minute solo trumpet. And I'd be like, I wouldn't even look at the email. You know, it's like, yeah. what? So <laughs> yeah. I told, and then, and then, and so many times people would say, you have a band, right? No, no. Do you, oh, you use like electronics and loop. No, it's just, it's just acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and even seeing, even when I point them to a YouTube video, I mean, understandably, that's not even enough because that's just a three minute clip of like, oh, that's cool. You know, like a lot of beatbox, actual vocal beatboxers, you see a lot of like clips of them playing upward maximum like 15 minutes. I haven't haven't really seen concerts. And so that was such a challenge. But man, that was such a creatively fulfilling challenge um, that I have tried to fully embrace this idea of like, 
Can I carry a show? I'm going to think about it from the beginning to end, song to song. How can I build excitement? How can I have surprises in the set? How can I, you know, how can I use the space of the stage? How can I play the the saxophone in different ways on different songs so it's not the same? How can I slowly introduce it? You know, can I sing? Can I walk out in the audience? You know, all these kind of things that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of how it's evolved. But understandably, you know, I understand that it's, people would be very skeptical that that would be entertaining. <laughs> you know, Derek, it's been such a pleasure uh, doing some more intensive listening to your, your catalog you know, oh, cool. the last, last couple of weeks. Really great stuff. And as, I, as I hear you talking about you know, the experience with the looping and then going back to the kind of minimalist, you know, constrain yourself in terms of what you got available to uh-huh. you. The, the piece I always come back to, and I love your version of this, is Chameleon. Ah, okay. Because you can kind of hear, you can almost hear the process there. Because it almost does sounds of, like a loop. Because <laughs> it, it, it builds that way, but it's, yeah, but it's yeah. not. Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, okay, there's the bass lines. Like, what space do you have in here? Okay, there's like the, the rhythm. And like, you know, the, the, the part, the, the melody is coming. And like, it fits in every little, and it's monophonic. Yet, like every little thing has a, has a space. Uh, but it has a timbre cool. and has a level. And it's so cool that it builds like an ensemble. Uh, and it's really a, gr- a great example of that, uh, you know, by, you know, limiting yourself to that, uh, that scale, you had to figure out how to make it work. And it sounds like there's a bunch of dudes playing together. It's really cool.
yeah, another big influence for me was, you know, because I obviously like percussion. Um, and, I, you know, I've played around with drum set a little bit. But a huge thing for me has been playing the djembe or the mm-hmm. cajon. Um, and those listening, the djembe is just kind of the drum that you put kind of in between your legs. It's kind of African drum that you're hitting with your two hands. Um, and why that was so key for me was, unlike the drum set where you can do these polyphonic sounds and rhythms you can play the hi-hat at the exact same time as the bass and the exact same time as the snare on the djembe it's just like the sax it's monophonic you have to choose am i gonna hit am i gonna do a bass sound or am i gonna do a slap sound or am i gonna do kind of this like just kind of filler sound and then you also have to think like am i gonna do with my right hand or left hand and you and so Anyways, it just got me kind of thinking about like, oh, yeah, here's where the bass would go. Here's where the slap would go. And I could do the kind of the same thing with the sax. But then even taking it further, uh, I do a lot of like this double tonguing technique, this tucka, tucka, tucka. You're using kind of the front and back of your tongue. And on a song like Chameleon or Catch Him Up, um, my tongue is actually just going forward and backwards, kind of like a right hand, left hand drum, like basically the entire song. Going and if I'm if I want to do a bass note on the downbeat, I do it on the front part of the tongue with a slap. If I want it on the upbeat, I had to learn to do it on the back part of my tongue with a ram. These different kind of techniques. If I want to do it on the melody, if I just did a slap with the what would be the left hand, I need to do on the right hand melody. It, it was just very kind of one to one, kind of made sense to me. But yeah, I've always been a huge huge proponent of you know, just experimenting with, with different instruments. Um, you know, the better you become at any other instrument, the better you become on your main instrument too. One of the, one of the things uh, I've been listening to uh, a lot this last week, uh, is, uh, Eddie Van Halen as as a, as a guitar Ah, player, you, you, you cannot escape the, uh, the radius of Eddie Van Halen. And, uh, I mean, he's a guy who's an innovator. Uh, he just took the electric guitar in places. I mean, everybody sounds a little like Eddie Van Halen now because he was just, his influence was just so broad. Uh, but, uh, you know, he develops these, these techniques, some of which were around before, some of which he just perfected with the tapping and artificial harmonics and use of the, uh, the tremolo. Um, uh, and, but he was a showman, so there was there was always a uh, a moment of like you know athleticism for Eddie Van Halen. It's like wow, what is he going to do? Like it's yeah, just like yeah, incredible to behold the thing. Um, but he was also a guy who could take these uh, these amazing techniques and channel them into a musical expression. And one of one of my questions to you is how do you kind of strike that balance between being a showman who can do something that most people can't do that is that is a spectacle that, 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 that's a piece of showmanship. And then yeah. you also have a, uh, an, an ethos that's your art and you want to use those techniques toward making an emotional space. And, and how, how do you create that balance for yourself? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a big can of worms I could talk about for a long time. Um, where do I start with that? Well, let, let's uh, move on then. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, <laughs> we got a couple hours, right? No. One one of my favorite quotes of all time. I wish it was mine. It was actually by this guy who wrote he wasn't a famous musician. I don't even know his name. I should learn his name. He wrote a book on playing with synthesizers. There was a time when I was getting to that. And at the beginning of the book he said this. And this is like my thought on music. He said, There are two types of music in this world. Good music 
and bad music. <laughs> and I like them both. And that is totally me. So, you know, there is the artistic, challenging music, you know, kind of the traditional classical jazz of the world where we listen, you know, for art purposes to grow, to challenge ourselves, to hear something new. And that's awesome. And I love that stuff. But then there's also this straight up like candy pop, totally for entertainment, just to dance to, you know, or maybe even background music just to have fun with. And as much as I like having a fine wine or a fine steak or an aged cheese, you know, something a kid would hate, you have to <laughs> experience it. Sometimes I just want candy. Sometimes I just want McDonald's, you know? And so totally my my range of music that I like to listen to, and I think the range that I play as well, it's always kind of going in between. Um, maybe it's kind of in the middle, but it's always in between. And and it wasn't until I kind of fully embraced that. Um, that was another key, key moment in my musical development. It was after, once again, because I don't think this could happen really in a in a conservatory where you're only supposed to like, you know, the art side. Um, but it was after I was out of school. And once again, it's like, if I'm going to do music, it's got to be, I've got to really want to do it. And, and it actually happened at the, I was watching a Grammys and most, most, uh, serious musicians I know do not watch the Grammys, you know, cause they're like, oh, they just show the pop stuff, you know, the, the dancing and the whatever. And so I watched it kind of begrudgingly. I was kind of jealous of everybody on there. And I remember specifically, it was like a Justin Bieber and Usher tune and they were like, just dancing. And I remember like my foot was tapping and it was almost the thing where it's like, what, stop, what, what are you doing, Derek? <laughs> like, don't, this is not, <laughs> this is not good. But then I just kind of like let down my guard and was like, this is just fun. And music needs to be fun sometimes. And once again, like it shouldn't all, well, I mean, I'm a proponent of, yeah, you want both of those spectrums, but like, like I said, you want both. And so that was when I kind of fully started to embrace, like, I love pop music. I love 80s music. This music that I want to write with these extended techniques, I'm going to just use, like, pop chords, you know, just like one, five, six, four, stuff like that, and not feel ashamed about it. And that was, like, a huge, huge thing in my development where, yeah, just, just, just realizing – because. You know, a lot of us uh, that w went to music school, we are afraid of composition. You know, there's composition majors that do that. Um, or in the jazz world, you have to kind of write with enough complexity. You know, you can't just write triads. Mm -hmm. You have to use like mm -hmm. a flat nine, sharp 11 on everything. Um, <laughs> and so it was when I finally realized I can just write simple stuff. But it hap just so happened that the way that I'm playing it is very complex, but not because I'm trying for it to be complex. Yes, I will admit sometimes, Aaron, in answer to your question, sometimes I do write a piece because it's like, okay, I'm working on triple tonguing. I just want to play something really fast because this is just going to be fun and kind of like crazy. Um, but you can only do that so much, I think, before you kind of get jaded or if it's only about like getting people especially if it's only about like what's going to get the most youtube videos views that will burn you out and i have stories of that happening to me already but you have to you have to eventually just do stuff for you and some people might just like that stuff but 
I also just have to do stuff because it sounds nice, you know, and I, so yeah, so, and, and that would be kind of the art side or another thing would be maybe because it's a challenge for me. Um, and that could, that could fall on, on either side. Um, but I mean, very, very much so I'm all about putting myself into the audience. Um, this is another thing you don't hear talked about a lot at conservatories, because as soon as you start talking about the audience or the audience's perspective with when you're talking about that with serious musicians, people immediately think of like the worst words you could say, call someone in music, which is a sellout. It's like mm-hmm. the worst thing in the world um, saying that, oh, you're just doing it for the money. You're just trying to get more views. Um, but no, I, I think if I think all musicians can agree on this, that music is like it's like a language. It's a type of communication. You know, we're trying to communicate something, an emotion, whatever, an idea. Um, we all have different ideas, different people we're trying to communicate. But we're trying there. It, there is a communication and you can't have communication without the other side. And what good is a communication if you don't even think about the other side? Like if you're a speech writer and you're not even thinking about what kind of a conference you're writing a speech for, you know? Um, and so that just seems like a basic thing is like putting yourselves in the audience's shoes. And, and that's where I think like I can learn a ton from like pop musicians, from watching the Grammys. And, and no, not every musician like is going to be trying to reach the same people that Justin Bieber is reaching, you know, or, or the, and they have something different to say than Justin Bieber. It might not be, it might be very serious. It might be dark. It might be challenging, but still you're trying to communicate something. And so you need every, musicians. We need to th- put ourselves into that audience and think about how would I receive what I'm doing? Would I actually like what I'm listening to? Or would this actually mean something to me? Would I be bored? Would I be challenged? You know, whatever you're trying to convey, and that's that's a really difficult thing for us musicians to face. I've met some sax players, um, and I'm not picking on classical music at all. I love classical music, but a lot of classical sax players that if you ask them what they listen to, like classical saxophone is maybe the last thing they, they would even mention. And so it's like, <laughs> wait, you don't even you don't even want to listen to the stuff that you're playing that you're hoping people will <laughs> listen to you, you know? Um, and, and of course that's not always the case. Um, but, but that was like a, a, just a a really hard thing to face, but so important for me. Like, do I actually like what I'm playing? Would I actually listen to this? Would I actually want to pay money to see this performance? And then thinking about everything I do from the music to then just basic, like what I'm doing on stage. Am I talking between songs? What am I wearing? what do I do in between? Should I move all this kind of stuff? And some of that stuff, you know, like a lot of times, once again, when you think about like, Oh, movement, like, Oh, that's cheesy. And that's like a thing. I don't like it when musicians like kind of over move and it seems like an act. And so I don't do that, you know, but I also like it when musicians talk in between songs. So I do that. I don't like awkward silences in between songs. I don't like the loop building kind of, awkward working on the pedals and so i you know try to avoid those things um and so i've just learned so much just by facing that difficult reality of like what's actually coming out of you derek and is that enjoyable um yeah and i would just that's it yeah that's a really great point 
That's a great point. So your new record, you know, we've talked about your writing and, and how the limitations you placed on yourself to do this all by yourself. Of course, your new record, All Figured Out, is is with a jazz ensemble. Whoa! And so that Where'd must that have from? been a very... <laughs> you, you had to know that was going to come up. <laughs> that we were going to put the lie to your hole. I do it all by myself. Oh, like, good. <laughs> so, so that must have been a very different writing process. Very different. Um, it didn't completely come out of nowhere uh, because up to that point, like, so my first album, Beatbox Axe, totally just me and recorded in my bedroom, just one sax, you know, just me. Second album, about half of the songs are collaborations. Uh, I do something with, with the great Jeff Coffin, who's also on Craft Brood Music. Uh, yes, I do something is. with a rapper, rapper. I do something with my wife. I do something, I do some more singing stuff. Um, I even at the end of that one, I do this uh, America the Beautiful collaboration mm-hmm. with 50 sax players. And so that was just writing for a bunch of musicians. So I'd kind of slowly been growing into this. Um, but where this came about was for, for doing a full album with a big band um, came about when I started touring and particularly for this 50, 50 tour, where if, if you don't know, I, uh, to promote this album, 50, 50, I, my wife and I borrowed an RV and we traveled to all 50 States in nine months. And I played a gig in all 50 States. Um, and that's amazing. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. And we also, another amazing thing is a, a kid popped out after the trip. <laughs> so funny how that might happen if you spend nine months in an RV with your wife. Was um, it the, the kid of the person who you borrowed the RV from? <laughs> no, you, you didn't get where I was going with that. <laughs> no, but I can say my father-in-law was like, we should have gotten you guys an RV 13 years ago. We'd been married 13 years. <laughs> um, but uh, so lots of good came from that trip. Um, but one of the things was, as I started touring, and I often, one of my most common uh tour stops are universities where I will do a solo concert in the evening and then maybe some master classes clinics with the students during the day. But a lot of times these universities, of course, they all have jazz bands. They, a lot of them have saxophone ensembles and a lot of them along the way would say, Hey, would you like to play with our big band? You know, I know you do a little bit of jazz, Derek, maybe you could play some tunes or with our sax ensemble. And, and I'd say, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. Um, and then they would say, what tunes do you want to play? And at first it was like, well, I mean, I guess I'll just do, you know, standard Count Basie blues stuff. And then I realized, you know, on those tunes, I'm just kind of, I'm just playing like a normal sax player, which is fun for me, you know, to just improvise normally and play regular, regular old melodies, but it wasn't really my style. And I, I couldn't really find ways. It was kind of hard to, to blend my, if you listen most of my solo stuff, like it's not really swinging in the jazz sense of the term, you know, it's kind of more funky. And so anyways, uh, one of the stops was uh, with the uh, Portland Jazz Ensemble, Portland, Maine. And I thought before I said, yeah, well, you guys can just pick some songs. I said, you know what? Maybe I could like write something. It was like a couple months out. And so, and I was even thinking of like, getting with some arranger in Chicago where I was living at the time and saying, Hey, could you turn one of my solo tunes? But I was just kind of thinking like, you know, no, how would I do this? Like maybe I could do 
you know, maybe I do kind of a cadenza intro, but then maybe there's a part where the band cuts out and it's just me and the saxes and I'm kind of doing the rhythm. Um, or maybe I could like, you know, it's kind of getting thinking really specifically about how I could do my stuff with an ensemble because it's not just totally intuitive in the sense that, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do, it's because there is not a drummer or because there is not a bass player. And so that's why I'm throwing in those percussive things and those bass lines. So when there is a drummer, it's like, well, I'm not just going to do my beatbox stuff with that. That doesn't make sense. So I had to kind of think in a different way. Um, and, and soon enough, I was just was messing around with, you know, my muse score that free notation software where you can kind of hear it back. And, and soon enough, I had a couple of tunes and I sent that to them in Maine and it was a lot of fun. And honestly, it was the first time in my life, one of the first times in my life where I really felt like I was like a jazz guest artist <laughs> that makes any sense yeah, normally yeah. i i'm this like beatbox sax guy which it's just my own genre um and and a lot of times this surprises people sometimes but i'm i've been more embraced by the classical community um and that's because if you know the saxophone classical contemporary mm -hmm. sax classical saxophone world it's all about extended techniques a lot of it is um mm -hmm. and so and in jazz not so much you don't hear jazz players doing slap tongue or double tongue really um so i'd been kind of embraced by the classical and i always had a hard time kind of getting into the jazz side and so this was one of the first times where it was just like wow wow what a jazz art and and yeah that doesn't necessarily mean anything labels don't mean anything but it was just really fun to just bring out this different element and being able to kind of also improvise with a rhythm section, you know, and find different unique ways of throwing in some of these techniques when they were appropriate. Um, plus, you know, I mentioned the whole, like, I really like pop a lot of times. This was a chance I could write it as poppy as I wanted to, you know, I could write just pleasing sounding chord changes that really made sense to me this day and age. I love a lot of the classic jazz stuff, but if I'm totally honest, I didn't grow up with it. I grew up with a lot of like cheesy, what would be considered cheesy eighties music, you know, Brian Adams, tears for fears, no matter how much. And I have tried and tried <laughs> to, to like love, you know, I'll even say it, lo a love Supreme um, or some other like later Coltrane. I will never like, a love. This sounds like this is blasphemy. So many people are going to turn off the station it, right now. I'm it, glad this was a remote just, interview. Just, 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 just say it. I love Tears for Fears more than a Love Supreme. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> oh my God. I know. Okay, and I know I'm just comparing a band with an album. Um, we should have just moved but, on. <laughs> but anyways, that's just because music is so personal and it's so. You know, it's so subjective um, Absolutely. of what 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 memory, you know, music is so much tied with memory as much as we want it to be like, this is a good piece because it's good. No, this is a good piece because it's reminding you of other things that you've listened to or it's just the right amount of surprise, but just the right amount. of You know, man, I have to tell this story. This is one of those beautiful things I've heard recently about music as memory. And it was some, I forget who, who this was. It was someone like a New York times writer was talking about uh, their son 
and the, the uh this woman's son liked like like hardcore screamo music like she hated this music like death metal and he was always in his room blasting this stuff as loud as he could she just hated it uh and anyways the sad thing is the son actually tragically died as a teenager and she said and i'm getting like emotional talking about this i'm glad this isn't video so you can't see my (laughs) eyes are tearing up but she said she after this happened when she felt closest to her son was when she would walk into his room and she would turn on that screamo as loud as she could. And she was like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting really emotional. I'm sorry. Mm, wow. But it was like he was there and she yeah. could like feel him and she like loved that. And so that's just so it talks about the power of music and how much it's tied with memory and how that's so unique for each one of us. And so for me, like I said, it was just so key to learn that, man, as much as I'm trying to like this, tr- this, this traditional jazz or whatever, and I do like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it, but it just doesn't touch my heartstrings the same way as just a simple do ga, do ga, do ga with tons of reverb, you know, and this mm-hmm. epic sound. And so when I, when I freed myself up, I could write music for a big band. That's kind of like that. You know, I, I sometimes would jokingly say with the musicians, this is not traditional jazz. This is arena rock jazz. <laughs> and you can maybe hear that a little bit. If you, you know, some of the songs and yes, I'm using it. I'm, I'm, it's kind of like the beatbox sax in the sense that I'm not, you know, I just mentioned, I love this, like, you know, this, like, 80s drum beat with tons of reverb, cheesy synth, you know, the cheesier, the better. But yet yet again, I'm not playing those instruments. It's kind of like my way of doing it is using maybe like a traditional instrument acoustically to try to get those sounds. And that kind of brings out my own voice, I guess. And so that's kind of what I'm doing with the big band where, you know, we're using an upright acoustic bass. We're using an acoustic piano. Yeah, there's a little bit of guitar with some distortion at times. But we're using these traditional wind instruments, but trying to get this like arena rock sound. Um, I'm not really sure why I'm sticking once again to the acoustic thing. Um, but, you know, that's that's I, I guess that's how art is created. You know, it's it's never something just brand new an alien life form implanted in your brains or it's God given. I think it's always, you know, Steve Jobs said it best. Creativity is connecting things. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the best, I think the best, most creative people in the world would say that they're just, they're just, and I'm not putting myself into that group, but they're just, they're just connecting things that just weren't connected before. They're taking a little bit of this and putting with that, let's try. What if I did this genre, but with this instrument that doesn't belong in that genre, um, you know, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones is coming to mind again of mm-hmm. that idea of a banjo. You know, Bela's not the first person uh, to play music that sounded like, but maybe he's on on a banjo, you know, and using an electric banjo and playing funk with that. You know, he's not the first person to come up with a funk groove, but man, when he does it on a banjo, I've never heard that before, you know, and that's, that is creativity. And we're all just trying to find kind of our, our own unique way. And I guess that's my take.
Thanks so much for uh, you know telling us the story. It's it's uh, it's fascinating, and uh, and we've uh, it, it's a perfect fit for craft brew music, and uh, it's really exciting to have you here cool. for our our first uh, podcast interview. Yeah, honored honored to be here and share. I mean, I never would have thought honestly. This is honest that you know even eight years ago that anyone would be would be interested in what I have to say. So I'm always happy to share. You know, Derek, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, love, love all the tunes. Love the new album. We'd really love to hear you, you play a selection for us. If you, if you I could mind. sure do that. Here is a little bit of a, a tune I wrote. I talked about this one earlier called Spitfire. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. For more Craft Brewed Music, visit craftbrewedmusic.com. Please feel free to rate, review, and share the show. See you next time.